You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church is located in Camas, Washington. You can find out more about us at www.axecamas.org. Check out our other sermons and podcasts. You can find them on iTunes Podcasts, SoundCloud, and our website. This sermon was preached by Pastor David Robinson, who is the teaching pastor at Axe Church. We hope you enjoy the sermon, and we hope that the Lord blesses you through it. Good morning. Axe kids, you can leave. I saw some very nervous kids thinking we've never been in here this long. He said we have to listen to the sermon. Almost as nervous as the adults that know the sermon's coming, but... Um, it's good to see you guys this morning. My name's David. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, the younger, uh, some would say better looking version of the one that was up here earlier. <laughs> and by some, I mean all, including my mom. Um, just saying. There was a coach for Auburn football for a long time. His name was Suge Jordan. And uh, he was, he was a coach for, I think he's the winningest coach of all time at Auburn, for those of you who are big college football fans. And he had a former linebacker that had played for him, a guy named Mike Collin. He was playing for the Dolphins, and, and Suge wanted Mike to help him recruit, get some guys for the Auburn football squad. And so he goes to Mike, and he says, look, I, I want you to recruit some guys, some football players for me. And, and Mike says, okay, what kind of players do we want, coach? And the coach says, you know the kind of guy that gets knocked down and stays down? Mike says, yeah, yeah, we don't want that kind of guy, do we, coach? He says, no, no, we don't. He says, you know the kind of guy that gets knocked down but get back, gets back up? But then he gets knocked down again, and this time he stays down. Mike says, yeah, coach, we don't want that kind of guy either, do we? And Suge says, no, Mike, that's not what we want. But then he says this, you know the kind of guy that gets knocked down, then gets up and then gets knocked down again, but he gets back up, he gets knocked down again, and he gets back up, and every time he gets knocked down, he gets back up. Mike says, yeah, coach, that's the kind of guy we want, don't we? Suge said, no, Mike, we want the guy who's knocking everybody down. true. Um, that's who we want to be, right? We want to be the person knocking everybody down. We want to be the winner. That's the way that, that we look. Everything in the world tells us that winners are the best. Winners are the best. We want to be on top. Nobody is out there rooting for their team to almost win you know, or to, or to lose, right? Nobody is walking into their driver's test. I'm thinking about this because um, my kids are both that age. My son's going to be taking that test in, this year. And nobody walks in there thinking, I, I hope that I hit another car, never get my license, and my parents can drive me in on my dates, right? That's not, that's not what we want to have happen. We don't think I want to lose. We don't think I want to lose. We want to win. My grandfather used to say that he'd rather be rich and healthy than poor and sick. That was his joke. That's, you know, you don't find it funny, that's fine, but that's the kind of jokes that I grew up with. So when I do something cheesy, just remember there's a long line, hereditary line, as those of you who know my dad already knew, um, of those kinds of things. But we like to spend a lot of time avoiding pain, right? Avoiding pain seeking after safety and security and health and wealth. And there are some people who want to sell you Jesus 
like the world sells hot dogs and beer and cars and, and, and fast food and deodorant and stocks and all the things that we buy. Some people want to sell Jesus in that same way. Jesus will make you happy and healthy and rich and you'll avoid pain and you'll have more friends and you'll be taller and you'll be thinner and you'll be more beautiful if you just follow Jesus, right? And, and for people who follow Jesus for those reasons, because somebody sold Jesus to them that way, there's this unsaid bargain. An unsaid bargain is struck in the person's mind, a quid pro quo, which just means something for something, right? If I follow Jesus, I get stuff now. I get stuff now, whether that stuff is more money or happier life or whatever it is, whatever it is in their mind that says following Jesus means I get this stuff That's the idea that they have. The idea is that God blesses and that those blessings are about here and now and generally they have dollar signs and and health and things like that attached to them. That that's what Jesus is about. That's what's being sold to some people. This uh, line of thinking is that we are supposed to be the ones knocking everybody down, right? We're the winners and that's what following Jesus is about, is about winning in the world's wisdom. We don't get knocked down. We don't suffer or if we do suffer, It's probably because you have some sort of hidden sin or you don't have enough faith, some sort of karma nonsense type thing, right? But you shouldn't suffer if you're a Christian. You shouldn't get sick. You shouldn't suffer or be persecuted or have anything like that happen to you because following Jesus is one big game, right? There are people who believe that we're going to create some sort of Christian nation that's going to usher in the kingdom of God, that that that's the kind of winners we are. And if you know many people who have that kind of political philosophy, you'll know that you wouldn't want very many of them to be the leaders in this nation that they're talking about making. But that's not what God has promised us, right? He hasn't promised us that winning means getting what we want now, getting stuff now, right? That, but that philosophy is infecting believers all over the world. In fact, in Honduras, when we go to Honduras, one of the biggest things we deal with is this prosperity gospel, is this idea that following Jesus gives you stuff. You have the poorest people that you'll probably ever see, for those of you who go with us, that are there, who we're trying to serve, and then there's somebody down the street who wants to tell them that following Jesus is going to make them rich. Now, that's a tough thing to compete with, right? But it's wrong, and it's hurtful, And it causes all kinds of problems. But we do it here in the United States too, right? Americans, after all, are winners, right? We're the big guy on the street. I think the sort of American value is winning is above all else. It's big to us. But what if that's not the gospel? What if following Jesus has nothing to do with winning in life in the way that most people define that term. What would make it hard for us to make disciples except that? Having to say it's not about winning, right? It's a lot easier to sell. It's a lot easier to make disciples if you say we're going to give you pleasure and there's going to be no fear and there's going to be no pain and you're going to be rich and you're going to be popular now, right? You're going to win in life. That's an easier thing to sell to people if you want to make disciples. This diet, you eat whatever you want, you'll lose five pounds a week. Yeah. That one doesn't work. (laughs) FYI. Been trying it for years. Use this body spray. You see these ones, right? Use this body spray, young men, 
and all the girls will want to date you. How's that working out, youngsters? Right? Still got to take a shower, trying to tell you. These kids. Buy this sneaker and you can jump like Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks kind of like Michael Jordan when I jump. Just much lower. Right? But we're called to make disciples for Christ, so don't we need to dress it up a little bit? Don't we need to make it attractive to the people who are out there who want stuff now? Don't we need an answer for them, for Jesus? But here's the thing. If we give into that temptation, which many people have done, if we give into that temptation, we're not building strong Christ followers. We're lying. And we're preparing people for extra pain and frustration in a life that already is difficult. And Paul and Silas and Timothy dealt with this in the Thessalonian church. We've been in this series rooted. We've been going through 1 Thessalonians. And we're back in 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 3 today. If you have your Bibles, grab them. If, if you don't have one, there's, there's some in the seats, in the pockets in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those home with you. That's yours. That's our gift to you. Um, but go ahead and, and get into chapter 3 here. And if you remember... Uh, Paul's talking about how they miss the Thessalonian church, the people there, and they want to go see them. He's expressing his love for them. He's talking about the way they loved him when they were there. And then we come to chapter 3, and he goes a little further. He says this, verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. They were experiencing afflictions. They were experiencing persecution. They were experiencing suffering. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. To what? To afflictions, to suffering. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. They couldn't stand it anymore. They needed to know how the Thessalonians were doing. So they sent Timothy to them to find out. They wanted Timothy to kind of continue the work they had done. Remember, they had not been there long. They had worked with this church. People had come to know Jesus. People believed on his name. They believed in the resurrection. They followed Jesus, but they hadn't had a ton of time because they basically had got run out of town, right? They had to go. And so they're concerned. They love these people. They're worried about it. And so they send Timothy back. Go check on these folks. Go check on these folks because we've only been able to give them so much instruction, not as much as we had, would have liked to. But here's the thing. They had given one important instruction, that he tells us here. They had told the Thessalonian church that suffering was part of following Jesus Christ. They had told them that. The Thessalonians had been persecuted and were suffering. Paul wrote, just as we read it there, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Why? You shouldn't be shaken, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. Who? People who follow Christ are appointed to suffering. For in fact, we told you before, they obviously had told them this and instructed them in this, and you've seen it happen. What we told you is going to happen has happened. That is why Timothy was there. He was there to find out whether the suffering that came, that they knew would come, that they told them would come, had caused them to fall away from the faith. 
They wanted to know whether these Thessalonian believers had walked away when things got tough. See, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they knew what persecution was like. Really, no question about that. They knew suffering. When Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and believed on him, then he was sent to Damascus, and a guy named Ananias was called by the Lord to go and baptize Paul. And Ananias was like, mm, I've heard about this guy. He's putting people in jail. He's persecuting, killing, doing all the rest. This is a bad guy. He is, he is angry with Christians. He doesn't like those who call on the name of Christ. And the Lord's like, no, you're going to have to go do this. And this is what he says. But the Lord said to him, this is verse 9, this is chapter 9, verse 15 and 16 out of Acts. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was going to suffer for the name of the Lord. That was the plan from the beginning. From the beginning. It's like, hey, you want to sign up for this? Yeah, I'll sign up for that. What's, what do we get here? You get to suffer. All right, that sounds great. Let's do that. It's quite a sales pitch, right? But that was it from the beginning. He was going to suffer many things. And Paul did suffer many things. So he had a big background in suffering. So when Paul and Silas and Timothy told the Thessalonians that suffering would happen, they knew what they were talking about. Wasn't any question about it. And it was not just the Thessalonians. Paul knew throughout his ministry that the mark of the Christ follower is suffering for the name of Jesus. That it will happen. It will happen. John chapter 15, starting at verse 18. Let's look at what we see here. If the world hates you, you know, this is Jesus talking, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus told us what it was going to mean to follow him. He told his disciples, that's you and me if you're a Christ follower, that persecution and suffering were part of following him. That the world is going to hate his disciples. Then Paul and Silas and Timothy, they had told the Thessalonian church the same thing. And now they were looking to know whether the suffering that came caused the Thessalonians to falter in Christ, following Christ, to falter in their faith. Let's see what actually happened. We'll read verse 6, chapter 3. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Good news. They had kept their faith. They had continued to follow Christ. They weren't mad at Paul and Silas and Timothy. They loved them and desired to see them, even though they had faced all this difficulty. What a relief to these men who had suffered for the Lord to bring the good news to the Thessalonians, that so many of them would come to know Christ, that their work in the Lord was not in vain, that the Thessalonians stayed in the faith. Next couple of verses here, seven and eight. 
Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. He writes here of their comfort. Their comfort at finding out that the Thessalonians stood fast. Their faithfulness, the Thessalonians' faithfulness through their suffering encouraged Paul and the others in the Lord. It gave, as he puts it here, life to them to know that their work among the Thessalonians had been blessed by God and that they had stayed faithful. Gave them life. We're going to come back to that point later. You know, it goes without saying that we check on our investments, right? We check on our investments. If you have, if you are blessed enough to have stocks and bonds and a 401k and all that kind of stuff, you check on it, right? From time to time, if not more often, some of you are like, "Mm, what's my Bitcoin doing right now? You know, you guys doing that kind of thing. You check on it, right? Why? Because you put something of value somewhere. You, you paid the price, you went to work, you did the job, you earned the money, you put it somewhere, and you want to see that your investment is growing, right? So you're going to check on that investment. See if your efforts, working hard and investing well, are paying off, if they're being rewarded. Well, as believers, as Christ followers, we invest in people. We invest in people. We invest in something much more valuable than just money and stocks and so on. And we put in something much more valuable. We invest our lives. We invest our lives. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We pray for each other. We take care of each other. When one of us is sick, we teach each other. We learn from each other. We lend to one another. We forgive one another. We hope for one another. We forbear each other's nonsense. Right? That's one of the hard ones. We spend time with one another. We spend our lives for one another, investing in each other. That is what these men, Paul and Silas and Timothy, had done for the Thessalonian church and for so many others. They had poured themselves out for them. And that's why Paul wanted so much to know what was going on, what was happening with these people. He was checking on his eternal investment, his eternal investment in these people. He had spent himself. He loved these people, and he wanted to know about the fruit. Was the fruit there? Would they get to see the fruit? If the Thessalonians had faded away from their commitment to Christ, If they had walked away, then Paul was was thinking, feeling like he would have spent himself in vain. Like he would have done all of that and it wouldn't have been for anything. To find out that they were still in the faith. And more than that, that they were thriving and had love for Paul and Silas and Timothy was incredible. It was like a breath of fresh air. It was literally life to their tired, broken, spent bodies to know that they had stood strong, that the Holy Spirit had given them the power to make it through that suffering and that tribulation. But what if, let's think about this, what if Paul had taught a different gospel? What if he had taught them a different gospel? What if he had sold Jesus? 
in a different way. Remember those different kinds of football players? Well, the real Christ follower is the one that gets knocked down and gets back up and gets knocked down and gets back up and gets knocked down and gets back up always in the power of the Holy Spirit that never stops, right? That's the real Christ follower. But what if Paul had taught them that Christ followers are the ones knocking everybody down? That Christ followers were gonna be winners, that they were gonna win according to the world's definition. They were gonna get the stuff that they wanted. It was gonna be happy. What if he promised that it meant happiness and health and money and butterflies and lollipops and rainbows and unicorns? What if he had promised that to them? Which you and I know is something that some people are promising about Jesus. What if he had done that? Then, then what would have happened to the Thessalonian church when persecution and suffering came? When they realized that they don't all get to be healed of every disease that comes? When they realized that there's still difficulties, that their kids still do really dumb things that hurt? That they still do dumb things that hurt? That there are still natural disasters and difficulties and, and relational problems and all those kinds of things that still exist because we still live in a fallen world. What happens when you promise lollipops and unicorns and what they get is suffering? What would have happened to their faith in Christ? Well, they would have fallen away, right? Of course they would have. They would have been told a lie. And as soon as they had realized they had been duped, they would have dropped their faith in Christ, because it wouldn't have been real faith in Christ, it would have been built on a false gospel that Jesus was giving you something. And when persecution and suffering came, when it really cost them something to follow Christ, they would have fallen away. This is the danger that every Christian faces. And I want you to think about this because this isn't just about some people out there who believe some gospel, this is about you and me. This is about our heart. Every Christian faces this difficulty when they've bought into, even in a small way, when they've bought into the idea that Christians are earthly winners, that we get to get what we want right now, that part of following Jesus is about getting stuff. When we believe that, what my aunt used to call bullpucky, that's bullpucky. I'm not sure if that's a bad word. I don't know what that means, but that's bullpucky, but... A lot of us have bought into it at least at some level. Even those of us who think we haven't, we've bought into it at least at some level. See, because here's the thing. Suffering is coming. You've already experienced it. You're going to continue to experience it. And if God is a quid pro quo deal for you, something for something, what's going to happen when your quid doesn't pro quo? Right? What's going to happen when you had an expectation of what it meant to follow Jesus and it doesn't come through? And instead you get suffering or difficulty or you got to climb that mountain or you got to go through that valley of the shadow of death or whatever it is, but you are quid pro quoing with God. If I follow you, I'm going to give my tithe, maybe something. I'm going to give something. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to listen to the fish. I don't know, whatever it is that's in your mind that you're checking boxes because you think that this equals this. When this doesn't come, where are you at? How tested is your faith when difficulty comes? What if it doesn't work out the way you think it will? Have you faced that question? For those of you who have suffered terribly, and a lot of you have, and you've remained faithful, you've figured that out. You know the answer to that question. But you also know the temptations that riddled your suffering mind at the time that you were going through it, right? Let's not pretend like we don't have those thoughts like, does God really care? 
I thought God loved me. Why am I suffering with this when I follow him? Listen to the psalmist. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, if you never believed that following Christ was about getting all you want now, according to the things that the world says are important, if you never believed that, then having faith and trust when the tough times come was going to be easier. It was going to be easier to remain strong if you never bought into a quid pro quo. How many people do you know that have left the faith or at least left the church because they've had suffering in their life? Ask yourself, what did they believe about what it meant to follow Christ? They believe what the psalmist believed. I am in pain. Remember, he doesn't all of a sudden get out of pain as he's writing this psalm at the end. He's still in pain. He's still saying, I feel like I'm going to die. If you don't help me now, I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. Not just do I trust you. Not just do I trust you, but I'm going to rejoice. My heart will rejoice in what? In your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord? Listen to this person. They're in pain. But they're going to sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Doesn't sound like he feels very bountiful, but the trust is there because it was never about what God is going to do for me right here, right now in some way, making me rich, making me popular, making me famous. It was about getting Jesus. It wasn't about getting that stuff. It was about God. This is the song of a person who is suffering and struggling, but maintains his trust in the Lord. Jesus told us, as we already studied, that the world hated him and will hate us. But we want honor among our peers, right? Don't we? We want honor among our peers. We want to be highly thought of. We want to be popular. Who doesn't want to be popular, right? Have you seen how many people want to be on reality TV? Right? Y'all are laughing. You're like, but I did send in my survivor tape. <laughs> I'm working on that audition for The Voice or whatever, Right? People want to be famous. People want to be popular. People want to be highly thought of. They want the praise of the world. It's something that they desire. But for the believer, and listen close, for the Christ follower, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. You are not going to get long-term praise and adulation from those who are in the world who don't follow Christ. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying, though. Listen. In Romans 2, we, we hear that the law is written on the heart. So people know truly what is right and wrong. And if you do good, you're honorable in the way that you treat others. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. You will have respect. People will see that. And you may even get some honor. Or better yet, God will get some honor for your behavior. 
Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay? So I'm not saying nobody's going to like you. Everybody hates you. Guess I'll go eat worms. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that suffering is 100% or constant or you'll never do anything but suffer. That's not the point of this message. It's not the point of what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians. In fact, joy abounded. But suffering was going to come, right? Generally, seeking the, appra- the, the approval and the praise and the honor of the world is not going to be a very fruitful exercise for the believer and the Christ follower. It's just not. As long as we are in this fallen world, there are going to be people who are going to hate you and despise you and persecute you if you truly follow Christ. Listen, this is important, and this is something that kind of has to hit us in the face a little bit. If you fit in really well in the world, in the world system, you don't fit in well in the kingdom. If you fit in really well, you just never come up against anything in the world system You're not fitting into the kingdom because it's not of this world. And so if nobody ever thinks anything about you, about about what you say, about what you live for, that's a problem. I'm not saying that everyone should hate you, by the way. Please, please, please do not interpret it that way. I'm going to have the most unlikable people come up to me and tell me they're the godliest people right? They're going to be like, hey, listen, everybody hates me. I must be a super Christian. I'm like, no, you're a jerk. Completely, (laughs) completely different thing, right? It's not the same thing as being a good Christian. Everybody hates me. Well, yeah, you know, because, you know, you're, you're you're a bottom. I'm simply saying that there are those who will hate you. Not that everybody will hate you. And those that hate you won't hate you because of you. They'll hate you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ and they hate him. They hate him because they know what their life is leading to. And they don't like the judgment that comes with that. I don't like it for them either. That's why we still love them because we want to see them know him. Now listen to what the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write to a church just up the road in Macedonia from Thessalonica. This is a church at Philippi. And he's telling them something really similar to what he's saying to the Thessalonians. He says this, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ. Listen, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul is once again doing a couple of things. He's checking on the steadfastness of the Philippian church, right? Whether I'm there or I'm not there, I want to hear that you're standing fast, that you aren't faltering, because I want you to understand something. That when you've been called to believe on Jesus, when you've been called to follow Jesus, you've also been called to suffer for his namesake. Something that is true. Welcome to church. Some of you may be thinking, I didn't know all this suffering was part of the deal. Got these nice blue signs outside. It's like cookies out there. Now you're in here telling me I'm going to suffer. Not very pleasant. For those who are 
thinking that or starting to get a little depressed about the life of following Christ, two things I want to share. First of all, uh, it is suffering. It is suffering. There will be suffering as a Christ follower. It's true. And for me to tell you something different is to lie to you. And I love you too much to do that. It's not loving to lie to you. But number two, and listen closely to this one, the joy that we have, the joy that so much, so much more powerful than happiness, joy just that wells up from inside of us, the joy that we have in what Christ accomplishes through our suffering for his name, the things that as believers, as Christ followers, that he accomplishes through us, create so much joy that it would crush the best feeling that you have ever had in anything you have ever done, not walking with Christ our King, period. There's suffering, but the joy that is born out of that suffering is so much greater and more beautiful than anything that you've ever experienced if you're not a Christ follower. I can tell you that unequivocally, having been on both sides of that coin. Do you even understand the joy that we have when a person finds real life in Jesus Christ? Do you even understand? Do you understand what hours of prayer and crying and suffering as we think about our child or our mother or our friend or whoever it is that we want to know Christ and we see their life and it's a disaster and it's a gong show and it's all over the place and we're telling them, look, Jesus loves you. And they're like, nah. And we're sad, and, and, we, and we have to deal with it. And our kids you know, just going through stuff, and we're praying, and we're suffering, and we're crying. And then when God comes and saves that person through the suffering, through the things that we've done in suffering for them, do you have any idea how joyful that day is? When that person that we've poured out our lives for comes to know Jesus and gets life in him? When you're, for you ladies who have had children, my experience of that is that it looks quite painful. Haven't had to have the whole push thing happen here. Very glad for that. Joy, inexpressible. But you know what? All that pain and, and with our children there, Corey was easier than Ethan. Um, he was difficult. We still are mad at him, but, <laughs> but you know what? When that child comes out, it's not a thought of the pain. Just joy. Just joy. Our suffering for the things that God brings through our suffering, the feeling that you have when God does things and you can look back on your suffering and see that it wasn't in vain. See what he's done for his kingdom and see people who you love have life, eternal life in him, go from death, spiritual death to life. You just don't know what that's like. It's like heaven. That's what it's like because that's what heaven will be like. Life, life, joy, joy. Our suffering is just for a moment. How long do we live, right? Average of like 80 years or something. Some of you have beat that by a ways already. But we can expect about 80, something like that. What is that compared to eternity? I'm not a math major. It's not much. It's a breath. 
It's a breath. It's a moment. Our suffering is for a moment. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. This is chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, if you know anything about Paul's story, beaten however many times, shipwrecked how many times, basically stoned to death, right? I mean, just bad, right? You think you have like that tennis elbow? This guy was like broken. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Those are powerful words. Weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Think about this even from a non-Christian mindset. What are the most important things? The things you can see or the things that you can't see? What's more important, your car or the love of your mother? One you can't see, one you can. Hopefully most of you are saying the love of your mother. I know some of you have nice cars, but what's more important, justice or a new Apple computer? It's easy to see that we care about the things that are unseen. Even the unbeliever cares about the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen. And when we say, listen, this suffering, this light affliction for maybe 80 years is building up for you this exceeding weight of glory for eternity. You got to understand that. You got to lean into that. You got to press into that. You got to understand what that's about because that is the real deal. That is something amazing. It's not just something that you get in heaven. Let me be clear about something. There's a lot of people who are sky gazers. It's all about heaven. You know, like the disciples standing there looking at Jesus go up. Uh, yeah. What, what, you got the, what am I trying to think of the, you know, mouth breathing, right? Sky gazing. It's all about heaven. That's all I care about, whatever. And so I'm not saying that. Listen. Right now, you can start to sense and feel that eternal weight of glory that's happening. Right now, you can experience the kind of joy that comes when you go through the suffering. This is not a defeatist message. I'm simply telling you the truth that there's pain involved in anything powerful. And there's pain involved in this. Not because Jesus couldn't keep you from pain. You can get saved and he can be like, zoop, take you right now. But he kept you here, and he allows you to go through pain just like you who are good parents have allowed your children to go through pain or even caused it for them. Right? This guy right here. Still feel some of that. Mm. Uh, he had a wind-up, too. It was bad. Cracked my bottom right in half. <clears throat> Still a line there. All right. <laughs> I was all serious, too, for a minute, but I, I saw him, and I just couldn't, I couldn't let it go. All right, not in my notes. My wife has taught school at some tough places. One of the places she taught was way out in the mountains of East Tennessee, or Tennessee, as they say. And yes, whatever image comes to your mind when you think about the remote mountains of East Tennessee is probably correct. That's what it was like. We're talking an hour of driving over this windy mountain that she had to go. This was so windy that even when I was driving, it would make me sick. And I like roller coasters. So it was bad. Every day, 
she'd go do this out to this very poor community that didn't care about education. It was, it was an incredibly difficult place, and she would go there, and she would pour herself out for these students, just pour herself out trying to teach them the one thing they did not want to learn, math. Okay? That laugh should say it all, right? Not many of us are like, math, yay! Why do you think we created cell phones? Like the first thing that went on cell phones, like calculator, right? They told us we wouldn't have a calculator everywhere we went. <laughs> we do, math teacher. I remember the little watch that had the calculator so small. Now it's like, and I use it all the time. I know you do too, so. Math, right? They don't want to learn that, but that's not really what she was there to teach them. Not for my wife. That's not really what she was there to teach them. She was there to teach them what the love of Jesus Christ looks like. And she poured herself out for it. And I cannot express to you the suffering that was involved in that calling for her. Because it was pretty intense. And I also cannot express to you the joy, the joy of seeing some of those students respond to the love of Jesus Christ that Tiffany was showing to them. The ones that still get a hold of her today. The ones that still say, you're the one who cared about me. When you're Jesus to somebody, usually there's some suffering involved with it. Right? But the joy that comes with it, it's amazing. Look, we got to count the cost. That's what Paul was telling the Thessalonians. You got to count the cost. We don't start building a tower without figuring out how much the materials and the labor is going to cost. Are you going to get about half that tower built? You're going to run out of money, and it's going to be sad and embarrassing for you. Half tower guy. Right? That's embarrassing. You got a whole monument to your stupidity, right? Or to your lack of planning, at least. You got to count the cost. That's why Paul was so badly wanting to hear about the progress of the Thessalonians. He wanted to know how they counted the cost. When he told them what it was going to be like, had they counted the cost, how they were they really prepared to face difficulties. And he was so overjoyed to find that they were still following. You probably can't tell, but uh, I don't run a lot. <laughs> Unless someone tries to get in front of me, the line at Golden Corral, I can make a move. It's the only place I can still win a race. Because um, those people don't run a lot either, most of them. I'm just, it's a guess. Educated guess. <laughs> it's terrible. But I have run some in the past, believe it or not. And when I decide to run a certain distance, sometimes I start running, and somewhere in the, in the course of that run, I start to think to myself, maybe I'd like to run a shorter distance than the distance that I set out to run. Maybe I'd like to do a little bit less, not go all the way as far as I said I wanted to run. And that starts to sort of creep in. Maybe I should slow down, maybe I should stop, let's walk for a while, whatever it is. But I've committed to myself to run that distance, and I know that if I finish, I'm going to be glad that I finished well, and I push through that difficult part, that difficult part of that run. For those of you who've done a lot of running, you know that feeling I'm talking about, where you want to stop, but you know that you've committed to run a certain distance, and you'll be glad that you finished well. That is what we must do as believers. We must not believe that no suffering will come because it will. But we must be committed to finishing the race. 
because of the prize that's before us in Jesus Christ, our King. He who we get now and for eternity. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the guy who Hunter earlier was reading the verse and said he was the chief of sinners, persecuting the church, not just persecuting people, literally the people he chose to persecute were Christ followers, specifically. The chief of sinners. And here he has a crown of righteousness laid up for him, not because of his own strength, but because he lived his life in the power of the Holy Spirit and was able to deal with the suffering that came as a result of that and finished the race and kept the faith. And that's what I want for you. That's, what, that's all I want for you and for me. That we'll get to that place and we'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your father's joy. That's all I want. If I had nothing else in life, to know that you had that, that I had that, would be more than I could express. Paul himself expressed that he had life, life because of the faithfulness of the Thessalonian church, that they were able to be faithful in the midst of suffering and persecution because the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives gave him life. And I can tell you as your pastor, there's no doubt that the same is true for me in ways that you do not know. When I see you grow through suffering and stay faithful, it's life to me. When I see that God has used something that I've done or suffered through or whatever to build you up, it's life to me. When I see that you're faithful, that you're true, that, you, that your life is moving more towards Jesus, it's life to me. And for you, for each other, I mean, what has God given us more than building each other up, than looking to the body of Christ and letting us build each other up? I love you, and I'm built up by you. Hopefully, you're built up by me. I have some great encouragers here at Acts Church, starting with the elders, the deacons, the staff, and so many others of you who take the time to encourage me and to build me up. And I hope that you are also built up by those same people and by me and that you're building each other up. Because when Paul's talking about, look, when I found out that you were still faithful, oh, it's like living. It's amazing. In 2008, according to the Medical Expenditure Panel Survey, I know you've all read that, so you probably, I'm probably repeating this. But about 100 million adults in the United States were afflicted by chronic pain. Chronic pain, not one-time pain, chronic pain. And all told, when you count everything, the cost of the pharmaceuticals and hospitalizations and lost work and missed wages and all, this, all the, the cost of pain in the United States annually back in 2010, it's probably more now, was 560 to $635 billion. It's more than I make in a week. I mean, it's a lot more than I make in a week. It's a lot of money. We spend a lot of money. It costs a lot of money. Pain, suffering, it costs a lot of money. It's not fun. It's suffering, right? We know it's not fun because if it was fun, it wouldn't be called suffering, it would be called fun. Makes sense. This is my logic working. 
Look, I run from pain like the next person, okay? God is teaching me how to sometimes lean into suffering for his name's sake. How to sometimes be able to lean into suffering to grow my faith. And he'll, and he'll show you how to stay faithful in suffering too. Paul suffered so much, so much more than I have. But then I look at how many will have eternal life in Jesus Christ because of how God used Paul's suffering. We're literally reading what he wrote today, 2,000 years later. His suffering has done so much, and eternally, the weight of glory that was built up through his suffering, I think we can guess it's pretty, pretty heavy. Suffering is being like Jesus, who suffered for us. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured the suffering. Why? For the joy that was set before them. Is there a joy set before you? Do you have a hope in Jesus, in eternal life, in all of that? Is that joy set before you? Because if it is, you can endure the shame, the pain, the suffering, the persecution, as he did. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. When you're suffering, when you're dealing with difficulty, when someone hates you, when your friend is dying, when you're going through it, consider Jesus Christ. Consider him. Before you become discouraged in your soul, consider that he suffered and went through it because of the joy set before him, that we don't just live for what's here and now in this earth, that we live for an eternal kingdom. You know inside your heart that you're eternal. You know that. You're here because you know that whether you're a believer or whether you're a skeptic and you're checking this out, whether you're trying to see what it's all about, somewhere inside you, you know that you're eternal, that you are not just a meat sack that's going to die and take a dirt nap and worms are going to eat you. And then the circle of life, you know, that, that's, when you finish it, well, we'll get to that afterwards. You know that. You know that there's so much more. And so when you think about that and you recognize that this is about eternity, that this is a long game, it's a long thing, it's no game, it's easier to have joy set before you. It's easier to have the joy set before you. Anxiety, depression, physical pain, death, poverty, prisons, hospitals, refugee camps, places of pain. We don't have to look far to find pain in this fallen world. There is pain everywhere, but suffering helps us keep our priorities straight, and this at least one way. When we are in pain and we are suffering, at least for me, and my guess is it's true for you, it forces us to focus on Jesus. When things are going really well, I don't know if you've noticed this in your own life, but when things are going really well and you don't have to worry about paying the bills this month because that extra thing came in and, and, and you're doing this and you're going on vacation or whatever, it's a lot harder to, to, to need to press into Jesus. But that little tiny headache comes and you're on your knees. Glory, hallelujah, Jesus saved me from this headache. Right? Suffering focuses us on God sometimes. It keeps our priorities straight. 
listen, I pray that you will count the cost. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not going to tell you that it's all lollipops and unicorns. I'm going to tell you that it's so much more than that. All that stuff is just bullpucky. You could be the most famous reality TV star in the world and have all the money and the fame and people love you and think you're amazing. And you could be another tragedy like Robin Williams who had all of that and ended his own life. Because I'm telling you right now, person after person after person has proven that getting all the things that the world says are valuable is never, never, never been enough to satisfy the soul. Or you could deal with the fact that you might be hated by some, not by me, not by those in this room, but you might be hated for some. You might suffer some persecution. You might suffer in general, but that there's a weight of glory being built through that suffering and that Jesus is standing before you through it. And that there's also an incredible amount of joy and community and faith and hope and love and encouragement and all the things that come along with loving Jesus Christ. It's about being real. It's about facing what's something real. So if you're not a believer, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, there's suffering. There's pain. I'm sure that if you choose not to follow Christ, you'll never experience pain. Right? It's coming either way. It might as well be building you a weight of glory instead of just building you more pain. But that loving Jesus and having that relationship with him is, is so much greater than all of it. It's like that baby that gets born, you forget about those labor pains. When you know Jesus, when you look at him, the pain seems to fade away. So I pray that you'll count the cost, you'll hope for the glorious joy that comes with following Jesus Christ. It's much more amazing, much more amazing than you could ever imagine for those of you who don't know him. We may not be winners according to the world system. Nobody really is. I don't know why you'd want to be, but we've already won. We've already won. For those of you who don't understand that, who don't understand what it means to have victory in Jesus, who doesn't, who doesn't understand what it, means to, what it means to say that we're more than conquerors, that Jesus has already won, that he's already defeated death and hell and sin, and that there will come a time where there's no more pain and no more suffering, but we're going through this time where Christ is being patient, where God is being patient so that people will come into the kingdom. If that's you and he's calling you in, come in because we're ready to be done. We need everybody in that Jesus can come back and that we can experience the fullness of that weight of glory that's been built up. Eternal life to enjoy God our Savior, both now and forever. Yep, suffering, yep, pain. Paul was telling the Thessalonians that. Yep, you're gonna experience it. Because he told them up front and didn't lie about it, when it came, they were able to not only endure it, but endure it with love and peace and patience kindness, the fruits of the Spirit, and what a joy it was to him, and what a joy it is to us when we see each other go through it. So I just want to encourage you, if you're suffering, and some of you are, some of you just come out of some suffering, some of you are going into some suffering, some of you are in the middle of some suffering, all I want to do is encourage you that while God does allow us to suffer in this fallen world, you can stay strong in your faith as the psalmist did. You can trust him, look to him, trust him, I'm not saying he's going to make you feel super better right this second because of it. I'm saying that you are going to have joy that is deeper than feeling that will build you up in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everything that you have given us. We are overjoyed 
we sing to your name, that you have saved us from sin and death. What else could we ask for? God, I don't need the other things that people think are important. If, if I could just have you, if I could just have your salvation, the fact that I can look to you for my righteousness, that I get to hold on to you, and that the Father looks at you instead of at me when I'm being judged so that I'm not judged is a greater thing than anything I could ever imagine. God, we don't look for you to make us rich. Some of us will have money. Some of us will not. Some of us will get sick. Some of us will not. Some of us will deal with this kind of suffering. Some of us with that. And all of it you will use as you work all things together for good for those who are the called according to your purpose. We know that. For those of our friends and family members and the people in this church who have gone home to see you, Lord, I pray that they're experiencing that exceeding eternal weight of glory that was built through their suffering and their work and their joy. I pray that we would see the ripples of what you've done through them go out through the world. Lord, I pray for a big vision for this church. And if that big vision requires big suffering, I pray that you give us the strength to face it. That we would put ourselves aside and care about other people, seeing them come to know you, Jesus, because we are looking for that day. But first, Lord, I pray for revival. That many would come to you and follow you. We know the world isn't going to love us. In fact, the opposite, they're going to hate us. They hated you first. And we know your Holy Spirit will give us the power to endure and face all of that. God, thank you for your salvation, Lord. I pray you'd be with those in need. I pray you'd be with Jeannie David, who's still in the hospital, been in the hospital all week. Comfort her and her suffering, her family's suffering, Kevin's suffering, their children's suffering. Lord, I pray you'd be with the Ware family who laid John to rest yesterday. Lord, I pray you'd be with Larry Hansen's family who lost both Rosie and Larry recently. I pray with those who are suffering financially, those whose kids are off, off the radar doing all kinds of stuff and they're worried about them and they don't know what to think. Lord, and I also thank you for all the joy, for all the great things that have happened for the children that have been born, for the diseases that you've healed, for those who have found jobs, for those who have found uh, other joys and, and graduating from school and paying off debts and all the wonderful things that you do for us, Lord. I pray that you would be with us in both, Lord. You give and you take away. Blessed be your name either way and in all things. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, it really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or through SoundCloud so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.